This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, friend, then you're in the right place because we're here to shoot the breeze on a couple dank, dank strains and some pretty sweet video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Dan threw down with giant mechanized beasts in Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, we talk stocking stuffers for stoners, definitely don't feed weed to your dog, Andy played Bravely Default, we jam on JRPGs a little bit, and uh, we talk briefly about Destiny's new expansion drop, The Curse of Osiris. We'll also be settling in for a uh, smoke sesh with our strain and our munchie of the week. Actually, it's our strains uh, and our munchies of the week. More on that in a minute. So stick around for that because they're all collectively going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always is the impenetrable, the immutable, the uh, uncomprehensible, Dank Dan. I'm the captain of this Carnival Cruise. Ooh, Carnival Cruises, the, the floating garbage dumps of the sea. Sometimes you want to get a little bit of encephalitis on the high seas. For that, turn to a Carnival Cruise. Hey, man, you can't disparage Carnival Cruises yet. We're, we don't have them as an imaginary sponsor. So, you know, we got we to lay off them until such a time that Carnival Cruise is on that, that, uh, that, that list. I think you and I need to sit down and talk about how sponsors work. Uh, because <laughs> typically you don't slag your sponsors. I mean, they're generally a little bit against that. That's not their, that's that's not not their like, thing. Make sure, make sure you shit right on us. <laughs> in, in, in the mouth. Please don't hit the teeth. Um, <laughs> how are you doing, Dan? How are you doing? I'm recovering from that last comment. That was a doozy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, sometimes, uh, nope, got nothing there. Uh, it's, okay, it's okay. I had you with doozy. A doozy. Um, doozy for the doozy. Thing. Yep. That's I got right. you. I understand. Listen, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a bit of an interesting week. So just to give everybody out there in Purple Dungeon Squid land an idea, today, Dan and I are not in the same spot. This is our first remote podcast of all time, and so it's, it's bound to be rife with a couple, uh, a couple gaffes, as they say yeah, in, uh, in showbiz. It's, it's a technical uh, canyon that we've, we've now sort of found ourselves in. And, and i got to be honest, it's a little bit lonely here in the Bat Dan Cave with that mm -hmm. uh, sweet, sweet Andy. Yeah, it's like, well, thank you, buddy. I, uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, it certainly is, uh, it's, there's something lost not having us together. But listen, we, you know, we, we've got this commitment to get out a show for the, the throngs of Purple Dungeon Squid fans, so we might as, well, uh, might as well make good on that promise. You'll notice that we did not have a show last week um, due to some personal, uh, personal stuff going on in the, in the world of uh, Andy and Dan. So, um, you know, apologies for that, but you can be sure that we're going to be right back on our weekly schedule um, so you can set your clock by Purple Dungeon Squid, I think. 
Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but we're going to be more consistent, right, Dan? I, I like to make a bold statement that immediately undercut myself. Leaves me a little bit of gray area, right? Yeah, it's like I, I like to say yes all the way and then come back and gently say no. Now, you, we've got like a conflicting story here because the text I got was, Dan, we lost the recording. It's gone. No, nope, personal issues. Personal and issues. And you say personal issues. Did you, did you fuck our recording? And then, <laughs> and then your wife found out? Yeah, listen, recording. This can't happen. You got to go. It can't happen again. <laughs> no, not like this. Yes. Well, uh, great. Now that everybody knows my business, Dan, why don't, we, uh, why don't we continue on here and see how deep I can get into your underwear? You know, it's weird. People say, like, don't air your dirty laundry. But, like, isn't that literally what you do with your dirty laundry? You literally need to air it? Yeah, you air it out. You don't leave it in your basement to fester and rot. That's just like, that's just no good for anybody. What are you doing with your underbritches? Like, that's not... <laughs> you you want to air I, that I out, I throw baby. it in you the closet and I forget about it. <laughs> I put just, it in there with uh, another my, symptom with my, of, a, of a repressed nation. I put it in there with my gay thoughts. No one needs to know about those. <laughs> Dan, when it comes to you, buddy, we all know about your gay thoughts. Make no mistake. Ayo. Hey. Dude, I started taking the train to work. I'm, I, like, Listen, this doesn't sound like an exciting piece of news, but it literally is because I have been in my car for the last three years every day for two hours, and now I can just stretch out, relax on the train, and get this one, smoke a little bit without having to drive. Right, So I can get right in there and they can ferry me to my destination, which opens up the possibilities for all kinds of joints. You know, it's brilliant uh, because I like this shift because before your commute resembled that of a prison sentence that by the time you retire, you would have served like 12 years in your car, uh, hard labor. Now, super, super depressing thought, but no, no worries, especially for those people up. that are listening to us in the car right now. Or in prison. Heater up. <laughs> hey, we're here to make that car ride a little bit more gentle. A little, a little more gentle. to our dulcet tones and, and make that thing work. And you train guys. Like, let's, let's get a shout out to our train guys. I don't care if you're Amtrak or Via Rail. Welcome. Let's, yeah, hello. Let's welcome let's aboard. Give them a little bit. I've lost the point of what I started to say there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it, it just all comes back to the fact that I've reclaimed like four hours of my day during which I can do things, mundane things like work or, you know, trip out on a train and uh, and fall asleep. Most and likely. your boss isn't listening. Um, so what are you really doing on the train? <laughs> Exposing myself to the other passengers. But, oh. you know, it, it, it's, it's actually it's brought up uh, a bit of a challenge, which is like, you know, on a train, you're always very close to another random person. And when you're, when you're in a nice train that has, you know, s seats of two, you inevitably end up next to another stranger who's a commuter and often likes to strike up a conversation. And so I'm finding myself thinking, I should probably not be visibly baked on this train ride because it's usually the same people on the train every day. And I just, I don't know if I want to be the baked guy. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, so well, now, talk to me, Andy. What are what are some of the what are some of the telltale signs that uh, that you you you've gone deep on the well, uh, the devil's lettuce? Well, you know, it's uh, it's the it's the smell. So you know, throw back to our last episode. I've been I've been moisturizing my hands <laughs> to <laughs> to make sure that they're nice so, and fresh. So when you're popping your pinky in one of your co-riders' mouth, 
all he can taste is rich sandalwood. All he can taste is the gentle, uh, the gentle undulating of shea butter. Um, yeah, it, there's that. Uh, there's, there's, you know, red eyes, which usually isn't an issue for me. I think the most telltale sign for me is uh, my mouth always gets a little pasty. And so maybe it's less of an issue of looking baked and more of an issue of just looking like I have poor hygiene. Right. I, you know, I run into a real, a real uh, conundrum where uh, when really baked, the first person that makes eye contact with me, I shout, I am high, I'm high. <laughs> and I really feel That's like alarming. I got to get that nailed down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not something you want to be, you know, uh, not something you want to be reacting with automatically, especially, you know, you, you wave, you wave uh, hello to a police officer as you're walking down the street. If that's your initial reaction, then uh, best stay home, friend. Yeah, I mean, that's good legal advice. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, the police are our friends. Let's remember that. Let's remember that. So what I'm going with to, to minimize the smell and to minimize, um, you know, accidentally smoking too much to my face and, and ending up like a stinky wreck on the train. Um, you know, I've just been I've been using the vaporizer quite a bit. And I'm actually I'm really enjoying the Da Vinci IQ. Uh, not not the third episode in the row where I've plugged them for free. But uh, the, the Da Vinci IQ is 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 great. Um, it allows me to smoke indoors and there's no smell. And generally speaking, I get a nice even even uh, even stoning. Um, but I'm still trying to adjust to the perfect temperature. Here's what I've noticed about this vaporizer is that if I leave it, like if I have my nice little session, but then I leave it on, it goes from like pleasant vapor mist to burning the shit out of my weed in the chamber and making it stink like someone lit everybody's hair on fire in the space that I'm in. <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely atrocious. And Time to back that off a couple, a couple beats. Some, yeah. some technical difficulties. And, um, you know, listen, I don't want to say any keywords on this podcast, but bringing that device on the train and having those symptoms, that's uh, that's asking for a, a quick phone call to uh, a security agency. Yes, yes. No, no, I'm certainly not bringing it with me after partaking um, at, uh, you know, at the old, the old office space. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the other thing is, is that I just, boy, you know, I'm again, as I'm digging deeper and deeper into this vaporizer world, I'm discovering there's a lot of things that vapes are really good for. The first thing is vapes are absolutely fantastic for ensuring um, that you never cough. Like I just, I've never coughed off a vape before and it's, it's a really pleasant smoking experience, but sometimes I just want a little bit more bite uh, and a little bit more, I hate to say it, but flavor out of, um, out of my strain. And, and that's, that's really where you can't beat smoking. You know well, what I mean? Listen, if you're pulling out the plant matter, I mean, you're, you're losing some of that harsh cough, but you're losing you know, a lot in there. Um, mm. and it's, it's that trade off and, you know, it's what you also get, um, you know, benefits is if you want to do something that people have been doing for thousands of years, but look like a techno dweeb while doing. Yes. I'm going to yes. make love to this robot dick real quick. Yep. It's yep. Well, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to think about that every time I uh, use my Da Vinci IQ. So thank you. You listen, you shouldn't have said the, the name again there. You really, that was your opportunity. They, they had you underlined in circles. Send Andy some more secret money for his, his, his plugs. No, none to Dank Dan, all to Andy. And then yes. you said, you said uh, I said the robot dick thing, and you said their name again. They just slowly crossed your name out. Yes, they were like, no presents for Andy this Christmas. Um, you know, it's it's funny, though, because on the train, like here I am worried about maybe smelling a little bit like weed, but like literally everybody on this commuter train at 5'10", 
when the bar cart rolls around is getting fucking hammered. So I don't know what the hell I'm worried about, but somehow in some crazy world, these like, you know, very respectable business people slamming back, I kid you not, three to four $8 wines or or $10 wines, whatever they are, uh, totally normal. No issue. No issue there. Denise is going through a divorce and she cannot wait uh, uh, until Bones comes on the TV for her first Chardonnay. She's got to pull open that Inniskillen's wine um, from a bilingual server on the Via Rail. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Actually, I had an encounter with a bilingual server today. She wrote me my receipt. And in French Canada, instead of writing a period before they put the cents, you know what I mean? Like if it's $4.37, you'd write four, yeah. period, three, seven, right? That's they right. put a comma. And that shit blows my mind. And then they also put the dollar sign after the money as opposed to before. It's like That's right. four, four, comma, three, seven, dollar sign. And I'm looking at this thing trying to decipher it. Keep in mind, I am a little high. <laughs> I go to her, I go, yo, you must be French because this doesn't make any fucking sense. I didn't say the second part, but I said, oh, you must be French. Boy, the look on her face was unhappy at, at best. She was like, and why must I be French? To which point I, I seriously backpedaled and stumbled over my words trying to explain the comma and the dollar thing. I, I don't think she at any point was assuaged. She was just pissed. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, I, I like I got this sensation that I'm, you know. It was like a statement of fact, too. She's Oh, you being correct doesn't make that better. I hope you get that. I mean, uh, think about pointing out anything that isn't obvious. Let's let's pick out another characteristic. What's something you could point out about somebody that isn't immediately obvious? Uh, that is a great question. I can't think of anything. Let's say that they're an accountant, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody hands you uh, maybe a newspaper that, that you ask, like, hey, can you pass me the Wall Street Journal? They pass it to you. You go, oh, <laughs> you must be an accountant. You're not getting like a friendly smile. You're getting a fucking grimace. That is the next thing you're getting. Because yeah. you're like, what what douchebag observation is he about to slide my way? First, fuck you for uh just like randomly guessing at a thing and double fuck you for being right. Yes. No, that's actually a very that's a that's an app point. It's the what do what do I mean by saying that? What am I what am I saying but not saying but concealing in my shit eating grin? <laughs> I get you. I understand. I can see I can see how it was a bit of a different move. across me. Is he gonna, like? Is my face just really French? Yeah, what are those French faces? <laughs> okay, I get, I get why, I get, I get her ire a little bit more. But it was honest. It was an honest thing. It was, hey, you, you wrote currency you in a totally fucked it. up way. Well, you I mean, I did mean that. It. I did mean that there was a difference in the way that they do things, and it's, it's less, less correct than the English way. But no, there kidding, it is. Kidding. There, there's the <laughs> inherent, there's the inherent privilege. That young lady went to, you know, uh, Miss Bolin's. Uh, Eng- uh, English class. What do they call it in? Like we call it English. What do you French people? Anglaise. No, but I don't mean to learn English. I mean like to learn their own language. Do they call it French? I let, let, uh, I don't know. We call okay, it English. What do they call? It? Let's pretend. Okay, she was in Miss Poulain's French class and learns her grammar and her notation. Carefully, doodly stu- studied that. Got her penmanship real nice. Nice. She put you know nine comma fifty eight. And handed it to you just for you to be like, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Oh, yes. Well, there you go. There Does you go. Does she feel betrayed by you, her country, or Madame Poulin? Only time will tell. 
Only time will tell. Well, that, uh, that's a great segue for our sponsors. This episode of Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by Weed and Video Games. No sponsors yet. Nope, not legitimate ones. Seems almost as if maybe not ever, but write us, uh, write us a message at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com if you'd like to be one. Uh, it's also brought to you by, aptly enough, Accidental Racism. Oh, you must be French. <laughs> I asked for that one. Brought to you by Forgetting Your Wallet. Because nothing says love like asking your girlfriend to pay. Oh, yeah. That's happened way too many times. Sandwiches with too much bread. You know what? Keep your Texas toast in Texas. I said it. I went there. Yeah, well, speaking of accidental racism, manicures for dudes. Um, I hope you're a rapper because they do that and sometimes your cuticles got to be on point. Yep, that's true. That's true. Finally, damp jeans. Thank you, you know damp jeans. Not, oh, fuck you. You know you're not taking – listen, you know you're not taking those jeans off. You, they're staying on. They're staying on forever. Also, also alternate one. Um, oh, are these just warm? Are these just warm? Nope. They're warm and wet. They're warm and wet. The pockets. It's all, Oh, it's the worst in the pockets. You know, let me tell you, I wear a lot of raw denim. So raw denim is the kind of jean that you don't wash, right? You wash it like after two years of wearing it. And um, – what they st what they say to do with your raw denim if it starts to be a little stinky or something like that is you get into the bathtub, a bathtub filled with cold water with your raw denim jeans on. Can I can I just can I just float this right across? Laying in a bathtub in jeans in cold water sounds about the worst sensory experience that any human could be subjected to. Agree or disagree? Um, you know it's it's pointy. Cool. Poignant. Ooh, it's a there's poignant a $5 experience. word. experience. You know, you, it's singular. You know what's happening. You know, it, it, you can't be like, oh, I've been sitting in this cold bathtub for the last five minutes. I didn't even notice. Like, once you're in, you know you're there. Um, can I float yeah. you a question in? Uh, sure. Do questions float? In the cold bath they do. Um, I get the cold water because you don't want to do the hot water that drains out the color, ages the fabric, and makes them shrink after. Sure. Um, but why? Why do you got to be wearing those jeans when you go in? I guess it's so that they main they don't they don't get too small. I I, I really I just I just don't know. I All think I you've know been trolled by a fellow hipster, sir. <laughs> that may be the case. If you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail .com. Until then, you'll have to put up with this nonsense every time, every single time, always. Alrighty, my friends. So it's a uh, it's a big week for Destiny fans like Dank Dan, isn't it? Oh, it's been a landmark day. It's been a landmark day. Is it just today that the uh, the new expansion, Curse of Osiris, came out? Well, you know what? Truth be told, uh, it did go through yesterday, so we're a little bit I'm a little bit late uh, late on the on the call on the the day being the day. Uh, it's, it's December fifth. It dropped. December 5th. Interesting. Um, yep. Still stuck on Titan myself, so I won't be seeing any of that content anytime soon. But I'm no less interested because Destiny and its constant rollout of expansions, especially in, in the case of the first one, um, kept me raptly attuned to, to seeing what was going on in that space. I love... Uh, the idea that they're building something in Destiny, um, and that you know they do that through through releasing this pretty regular DLC. So I'm excited to hear about it. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's a big drop, and they've also included a bunch of other tweaks, quality of life tweaks um, in terms of um, 
things to do with drops. Um, they've sort of put in a new mechanism that keeps you from uh, getting duplicate drops quite as normally as as often, and also um, better better methods of turning in tokens. Um, mm -hmm. You know, doing uh, for folks that are familiar with the Iron Banner, used to just sort of turn in tokens and got what you got. Now you can actually buy specific items. Uh, you know, and for somebody that's been uh, you know trying to get armor pieces for weeks and weeks and weeks this is uh, a godsend yeah I, I, I watched you open a bunch of, i think it's purple engrams or whatever from the the iron banner that you had yeah. yeah 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 so i watched you open a ton of them at your place and you got like the same assault rifle four times in a row the same exotic or epic assault right i was just like wow and like, that moment actually i think was when i was like uh and somewhere in the back of my mind uh it, my brain went i don't really feel like playing destiny for the next two months <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, maybe this is the precipice because I'm, I'm interested in finding out what this is the thing is with MMOs or with with online games. I'm always interested to find out what the end game is. And I think it's just vanilla Destiny 2 wasn't calling to me quite as hard because it felt like watching you go through the end game. Yeah, there's cool strikes. And, and you know, I know you did the raid and you really enjoyed that. And it just felt like the itemization was a little bit weird. And, and you know, the the actual customization and RPG element that I so enjoy about an end game maybe wasn't there yet. Does this, do you think that this helps contribute to that? Um, it, I mean, it gives you more content to play. I, I, you know, I, I kind of flatly disagree that there's no end game. I, I was happy with the progression of the, the raid. Even me who was playing a fair amount, um, you know, it kept me busy as I was playing. Um, so were people, you know, were people that saying it, that there's no end game? People always say, whack and crazy things mm. you know what i mean like if you got a uh, a ton of strikes and then a raid i mean that's that's the end game and for a game that's being released in dlc chapters already set out there like it's not going to fade to black and say game over like that's not the game we're talking about if sure. you're looking for that super mario world is on the shelf go pull it down and, and give her nails um <laughs> you know uh, what i you know what i noticed though is in this this new chapter it's like it's pretty beautiful you know, um, you get you get some some cool cutscenes. The worlds look very very um, sort of shiny. But what always kind of gets me is the story is always so vague. It's you know there's there's always talking about light and darkness, and there's like uh, in this new Vex storyline they're talking about a a future where Vex, the Vex has you know uh, basically wiped out the influence of both the light and the dark. Um, but it's all a very general dystopic future. And, you know, they just, they never really commit to hard facts. Like, you know, it's not like Terminator where there's like, they talk about Judgment Day, and, you know, Skynet and specific actual tangible events. It's, it's always a lot vaguer, which I think gives them a lot of room to move, but can be a little bit, you know, unsatisfying for a player. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, you know, I think... You know, what I really enjoy about Destiny, and I've said this many times before to you, is that I love the setting. I love the quasi-post-apocalyptic, you know, in our solar system space setting with these outside influences that create an alien nature on Venus or on Mars or whatever, right? Like, that, that's cool to me because in, in traditional sci-fi, despite the fact that in real life, you know, our galaxy is still such a mystery to us, 
uh, in typical sci-fi, you don't think of the Milky Way as something exotic. You think of it as like probably not even part of the canon. Things are, are happening in, you know, the far ga- galaxies far, far away. Right. So it's really cool to me what Destiny has done with our own solar system. Um, and I love that color. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, the actual, you know, uh, it's not that even the story notes are bad. Like the travelers are really cool concept. All of the kind of what's going on with the different factions is really interesting. But yeah, the story notes just always seem to fall a little bit short, right? Yeah, what's interesting too is they they introduced this um, this new character Osiris, who on the front of it he seems very very cool, and he's like this omnipotent uh, manipulator of the space time continuum. Um, you know, and at the same time, he's like a princess to be saved. You actually, you know, you, you encounter him in that, in that sort of perspective too. Um, you know, within the story has its, its share of magical MacGuffins you need to get and do things with. And I mean, listen, it, it's a, it's a FPS. So the, the storyline is, is for some a little bit like a porn storyline. It's there just for, you know, for window dressing, but, uh, you know, some people we want to see that uh, that 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 take the next take the next level and and really commit to something a little bit more uh, a little bit more uh, compelling. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people. Like to me, Destiny has always like again, it feels like an FPS when you're playing it. But in my mind, Destiny occupies the spot of an RPG, and I really do want to go through and and you know find out more about what is it the uh, the Infinite Forest on Mercury. Yeah. Yeah, and I want—I just want to get you know a sense of movement through that zone, not just have the color there, but you know get a sense of what's going on and and some some very specific story beats. And I don't care if everyone else is experiencing the same thing. I just want some cool story in there. I understand there's also a new raid. Um, it's a great question. I don't know what the new raid is. Yeah, and so- I don't think it's a raid in particular, actually. So it says new. Oh, sorry. So um, it says new content to the Leviathan raid named the Raid Layer. So I'm not sure what the Leviathan raid is. Is that something that you? Well, that the the Leviathan raid is the original uh, end game raid of Destiny Two. Oh, so it's like Leviathan. It's a ship. So it's another area that ship. I see. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And then you were telling me a little bit about. um... And I don't think the raid is dropped yet. I think that's still coming. Okay. So, but you were telling me a little bit about the uh, more dynamic free roam activities. Was that correct? There's a, there's a part of the game uh, they've introduced called the infinite forest. Mm -hmm. And um, they sort of, uh, they toted it as a randomly generated, generated replayable area, um, you know, with connective tissue that sort of connects a different mission elements that it puts together on the fly, sort of like random architectural models put together from a pre, you know, and it seems like from a preset tool, mm-hmm. um, you know, attached by these time doorways because the Vex are time travelers, right? Right. Um, so it's like different spots spliced together through these time door doorways. And it's sort of nice, seems like an economically minded programming trick, right? You got 12 blocks and you put them together in different in different uh, orders to make something new, um, but it doesn't seem. I don't think it. it I don't think it's quite the the randomly generated um, sort of thing we're talking about. It's more like modules uh, in different orders, and you know, not sure which modules we're gonna get, which is kind of neat, but but not not quite exactly what we're we're sort of expecting. I don't. 
I get it, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a, a million and one different ways that games go about procedurally generating content, but this isn't as granular as like a Diablo level, for example, right? It's a little bit less, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit more common that you'd be seeing the same things. Is that, is that, is that a fair assessment? It's, it's like, it's literally like uh, you have 12, you have 12 modules and four slots and you can get any number of those in any order, but they're not like once you've played a number of times, you've experienced each piece. You know what I mean? Not necessarily in that order. Um, I understand. You know, which doesn't give that much variability at the end of the day. A am I still going to play and enjoy it? Yes. Um, you know, but it's one of these things where when you hear something told in broad terms, a randomly generated different experience every time, that sounds awesome. When you're given sort of, um, sort of a Scrabble bag with <laughs> 12 pieces and you go, pull out four. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, your adventure. No, I got That's you. not the same, right? Well, I mean, you know, here's the thing. What I would love to see in Destiny in a future expansion, again, as an armchair Destiny appreciator, knowing that I'm not an active endgame player or any, you know, kind of far from it at this point, right? But what would excite me about about knowing, you know, about Destiny uh, endgame would be knowing that there were, for example, variable enemy spawns, right? Like just, just, just different different ways that strikes play out in terms of enemy spawning, or um, you know, for example, some of that. Um, some of that technology, which allows uh, you to experience um, more of a randomized or procedurally generated Mercury Infinite Forest, would be cool to have in a strike so that you're not running through the same dungeon every single time. Um, you know, maybe some uh, some randomized treasure drop points. I think I'm just I'm just hoping for some more variability in the in the end game and when i get there you know i'm, I'm hoping to see that come in uh, now that they've kind of just slipped into it a little bit with the infinite forest mm, interesting i wonder if they'll ever play apply that to a raid It'd be fascinating yeah it would be really neat so is it enough to bring uh, you, you know back I'm, oh um is, is it enough to bring me back um yeah i'll i'll probably play through it i you know uh I may, might find a, a a couple days over the the christmas break to sort of put a couple hours in there you know i what i was gonna say though is what would be fascinating is uh forward the clock a little bit oh my god my pie is burning own. keep talking dan i'm sorry my pie is burning oh shit pie andy uh andy has been going deep into these pies in fact um this is the third time andy has burnt a pie because he's doing a podcast and i i just mean like how many pies can one man have personally baked inside his house Andy, are you secretly Betty Crocker? I mean, uh, there, the allegations have been made. Nothing has been confirmed. That is a black right. pie, though, so I would, I would err on the side of no. I, well, listen, nobody said, hey, here, here's what goes well together. A dedicated long-form podcast and a short-term baking commitment. <laughs> listen, man, it's my dinner. I'm having a chicken pot pie for dinner, and I'm looking forward oh, to it. Oh, it's a chicken pie. Listen, I was getting ready for an intervention I thought you're having an apple crumble for dinner at 8:30, and I'd have to call somebody. And I don't think there's a a pie helpline. No, there isn't. There isn't. Uh, there is, um, but you need to grab a Ouija board, find yourself a, a medium, and commune with the ghost of Julia Child. Oh, I like what you did there. That's the so only what I was happens. saying is, would it be really fascinating if once AI gets really, uh, you know, fleshed out and uh, and uh, uh, sort of realized. Having an AI procedurally generate a mission to try and beat you, um, you know, to, to make it as challenging as possible, keep you right on the line of being able to to uh, beat the challenge. Like there's seven, there's like several challenge modes. There's regular, there's heroic, there's prestige, and there's AI. 
And so the AI is just like, I'm just going to try to beat you, which, which as we've seen with um, uh, Go Zero. Is it Go Zero? I think it is. Yeah, Go Alpha Zero. Anyway, it's uh, the AI bot that beat all the best StarCraft players, or Dota players, was it? Yeah, I think it was. Nope, it was League of Legends. So this this AI got put up against um, the best League of Legends players and just wiped the floor with them. And what's fascinating about AlphaGo Zero is that it was the first AI that taught itself how to play. Oh, so, it, so that's the kind it, of AI that, that then mobilizes your computer to assassinate you and your family for greater efficiency on the planet. I mean, I mean, it, it, not in so many words, but uh, so what's fascinating about this is it taught itself. So the game played millions of games of League of Legends against itself, millions and millions, until it uh, sort of produced optimal strategies that, uh, you know, are not being used by anyone anywhere, um, uh, which is an interesting evolution, um, because previously, in other versions of this similar AI, whether it be Deep Blue or, or, or AlphaGo, it was taught how to play by human players and taught human moves, but this one taught itself. Um, but yeah, you are looking at the progenitor of our mutual destruction. Yeah, that's, the the dark robot sure. future for sure. And the and 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 speaking of the dark robot future, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably love weed, know a stoner, maybe you are one, uh, and you know spend a good good deal of time trying to forget about the dark robot future. And if that's you and you have a you have a loved stoner in your life, then there's probably a couple stocking stuffers you're looking for for that specific person. Dan, I know you have one in your life. Are you buying any weed related gifts for the holiday season? There might be a little uh, nug or two under the tree. Ooh, old Santa nugs. That's cool. Yeah. Well, High Times did a, an article recently um, called Stocking Stuffers for Stoners, uh, which, you know, of course, I felt like I had to jump in on and take a look. Um, some of the, There's some cool products in there, man. So, you know, everyone's kind of vaping on those. Disp I don't know if they're disposable. I think they are. They're, they're, I have never used one, but it's those... Um, especially in legal states, those cartridge pens. I believe they're, they're called 510 thread cartridges. So it's like a little uh, plastic or glass, I don't know which, um, a refillable cart, or I don't know if it's, shit, I don't even know if it's refill. I don't know much apparently, but a uh, little plastic or glass cartridge that screws onto, um, screws onto a battery and that has your, of course, your extract in it that you can, you can vape. Have you seen those before? Um, I have, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's this cool keychain battery called the Flav FLAVRX keycart battery. Um, and so it's actually specifically geared for those, uh, those, uh, those refillable carts or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that sounds kind of neat having it on your keychain so that if you're jumping into the dispensary, um, you know, and you're grabbing a couple, a couple of those carts, you can not have to worry about carrying a separate mod with you. It's on your keychain. It's small, but it's powerful enough to create some big clouds, but it won't burn your atomizer. So it's uh, yeah, it's apparently a pretty neat little, uh, little piece of hardware. Yeah, it does, does seem fascinating. I mean, it might be a little bit like the flask attached to your keychain. Maybe not the smartest, you know, sort of marketing image. Like, have a quick sip before getting in your, your, <laughs> your RV. I think it's a little bit more low-key than that. Like, it, it probably looks something a lot more along the lines of, like, a USB key that you would have on your, on your, uh, your keychain. But point well taken. Um, have you seen the – okay, this is ridiculous. There is a 24-karat gold shine cigar. So we talked about shine rolling papers last week. Um, and I'm still the my, my jury is still way out on smoking gold leaf. Uh, the company's pointing to a 2011 study on rats that found no adverse side effects 
from inhaling gold five days a week for six hours a day. And I got to ask, who in the fuck <laughs> was forcing rats to smoke that much gold? And, and what be part of that study? That's some ball in rats. Yeah, man. Those those rats are like like the uh, the villains from uh, from from Goldfinger. Um, but uh, I mean, for my money, I, I still don't want to smoke gold. Where are you at with it? Well, gold is inert as a metal. In, in And I mean, it, it's it's safely smokable. The, the gold won't go into you. It'll actually end up as ash in this situation. And, um, you know, ingesting gold, totally fine. Um, it's, uh, it's not, it's not going to hurt you. It looks, looks pretty cool. And, uh, you know, there's actually an, an entire industry that, um, reclaims, uh, gold from human waste and, uh, they do, do quite well. That is spectacular. And, um, boy, another reason I love free market capitalism, find some poop there you go, and sell it back to folks. Turn it into gold. Turn it into gold. Um, the Kush card. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, it's a little gimmicky um, for me, but you know, it's it's kind of a neat idea. It's a Christmas card with a built-in joint holder. I don't know how much these retail for. If it's about the same as another Christmas card, then I'm you know I'm, I'm on board. Sure, I'll, uh, I'll I'll flip over some homies, some Christmas cards with a joint in it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a neat idea. There's also this little multi-tool called the Nuggy. Have you seen this? It looks like a big guitar pick. The Nuggy. Yeah, right, right, that sounds like. That sounds like a, a stoner's best friend. It does. So it's like it's this multi-tool, like a Swiss Army knife that has a roach clip. It's got uh, it's got a bowl scraper. It's got some different dab tools on there. There's a blunt knife for like you know gutting gutting blunts if you if you done fucked them up or if you you know you want to consolidate some of your burnt down blunt roaches. Um, kind of pricey. I think it's like fifty or sixty bucks. I could be wrong on that. That might be Canadian pricing, but uh, it, it's yeah, it's something cool. Again. I'm always concerned about, you know, a tool that I'm going to be using to scrape, you know, uh, resin and shit with and having that on a keychain or in my pocket because odds are good resin that thing's going to smell like hot garbage. Yeah, you're going to you're going you're gonna to be a little stinky. So it's kind of you cool. know, Nuggies, Nuggies sounds like the name of our our podcast mod, our, our podcast mascot. Yeah, Nuggy. I got that. I got that. Um, when we can afford a uh, when I, we can afford a mascot, long after all of the all of the uh, sponsors have come come forward for their disparaging remarks, uh, yeah, maybe Nuggy will will be, come to life. Just real quick, uh, let's 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 throw out a couple things that Nuggy has. I'm gonna say Nuggy has like a uh, a big a big cane, like a big pimp cane. A big pimp cane, Nuggy. Yeah, I, I think he has some white gloves, a la California raisin. Right, right. I think he's got a, a, a really impressive goatee. Mm -hmm. I think he's wearing some hype beast shoes. He's got some fucking Yeezys on or some shit. He's uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, he has, uh, okay, I'll give you an option, A or B, wallet chain or gauged ears? Oh, for sure, gauged ears, 100%. <laughs> Big gauged weed ears, 1,000%. And uh, maybe a monocle for good, for good, for good luck. I sorry, veto on the monocle. Veto on the monocle. Understood. Yeah, Nuggy, uh, coming to uh, coming to a podcast near you. Well, somebody will do that up on uh, on DeviantArt and link it to us for sure. That's already on its way. It's already on its way. You know, I, I'm a little against podcast mascots simply because the only mascot or the only podcast I've ever heard with a mascot. I won't name the podcast to avoid shaming its host, but um, he had a hockey puck named Susan that he introduced to the show shortly after his other co-hosts left. And he was always trying to make light of the fact that it was just him and Susan, but it was, it was fucking tragic. Just 
Oh, that that sounds like some crazy post-divorce talk. Yeah, man, like it was you dressed up a hockey puck in your wife's clothing. Yeah, and you're like, this this isn't uh, this isn't a microwave meal for one. <laughs> Me and Susan are enjoying Susan. it. She 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 has strict dietary restrictions, so she won't she won't partake in this one. But yeah, and it was it was always dark because like the content was good, but then he'd always bring it back to Susan and talk about Susan, and it was just just upsetting. Just upsetting, really. Um, if all your co-hosts leave and you can't like find new ones, you start a new podcast. That's a new pod. That's the recipe for a new podcast. And listen, that's got other. Go otherwise, what your podcast becomes is like a a live depression session. You're like, just just me still. My mate, stay down, call me. We're still talking about me. model vehicles, but today we're also going to sneak in a little segment called my therapy session. Yeah, called called deep loneliness. Deep, deep loneliness. <laughs> Crippling called Craig. Please call me. I'm sorry about what I said. Your <laughs> wife is a very nice lady. Oh, incredible. Uh, last on this list is one of my personal favorites already, uh, which is the Martian blunt bubbler. Do you know about the Martian blunt bubbler, Dan? Um, is it the fourth rock from the sun? No, sir. Come on. You, I think, don't you have a, you have a Martian, don't you? I do have a Martian. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Just fucking I, with just me. A little bit of, just a little bit of podcast gold. Oh yeah. It was more like podcast copper, but we'll let it stand. Oh, Go, you got it. Boom. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, man. Well, tell, tell me about the Martian blunt bubbler. What are you loving about it? I'm not pitching this thing. You have the side deals, man. I listen uh, until I see some of that. That hard cash you're getting. Listen, man, we're talking about weed, and half of that is how to smoke it. So let's maybe let's maybe. God, you're so right. I've I've been wrong this entire time. So what we're talking about is a handheld, um, palm-sized bubbler, and on one end, you put whatever kind of joinological research you've been doing, uh, aka a joint uh, or a joint for our international friends. And uh, we listen. We agreed to never call it a joint again. I think you agreed. Uh, I don't remember agreeing to anything, but but please continue. Um, I think it's on the lost episode. Damn it. So on the other hand, uh, other side, you um, you uh, pull out of in the middle. You have just enough water um, to sort of percolate that guy. So you get all the genius of a uh, of a well rolled joint with all the freshness of uh, your favorite bong apparatus. So. Uh, um, you know, uh, best of both worlds. Yeah, really. Say. Yeah, and just to just to clarify, it's it's palm sized in that it fits in your palm, not the size of your palm. It's it's amazing, and I just want to stress that because it's this cute little thing, looks like a little Martian helmet. You plug your joint in there, you smoke it, you get the filtration, you get you know the jo the joint flavor. To me, it's one of my favorite like innovations of the past. I don't know. Period. Period. One of my favorite innovations in the joint world. Can I, can I give you two more features that I like about it? Well, first, let me just say it's about the size of a lemur heart. You know, that just give you right. an exact size, but that size. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, f fuck you for that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, it's, fuck you, fuck you very much. Fuck you very much. Um, yeah, don't ever, don't ever say that shit to me again. The nice thing is it holds your joint, holds your doink out at a forty-five degree angle, uh, which stops generally stops it from canoeing. I found, and also means that if you want to pass the joint around and someone's decided they've had too much or they, you know, that you want to let it sit for a moment, you can you can sit it on the table without it sitting in a dirty ashtray and getting all stinky and weird. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Martian bubbler. Very multi-purposed first of all the ashtray is a safe place okay mm. first of all that's that's objection number one how dare you disparage the ashtray number two 
if you say doink again, I, I'm going to have to quit the podcast. You're quitting them. Just and then I'm, it'll I'm, just be me and Susan or me and Nuggie. It'll just be you and a microwave dinner and your – what would you dress up as a woman to keep you comfortable com- company? A, uh, a lamp? No, nah, you know, I'd probably go for something a little bit sexier. Uh, Listen, lamp there, is there fucking were, There hot. were a couple offerings through Touch of Modern earlier today that uh, – that had me a little randy. Anyway, let's continue on. No, you finished that thought. What would you dress up like a woman to keep you comfortable? Um, uh, boy, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. Uh, nothing's coming to mind. Um, perhaps a plant. I think a plant would go well. Oh man, like a nice hydrangea. Yeah. Or like a. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a snapdragon. Oh man, that's delicate. Yeah, you know, I like that's, my. I like, that's delicate as fuck. I like my women delicate and snappy. Um, and just real quick, one of the uh, if anybody has seen uh, uh, Flight of the Concords out there, uh, if you haven't, go check it out. Um, there is a great de- uh, dream sequence where one of the characters is asking um, David Bowie a very pressing question, and um, he says, uh, he, there, it's a, "They're from New Zealand in New York." He goes, "I'm David Bowie. If my friend dresses me up like a woman and pretends I'm a girl." Is that gay? And David Bowie goes, he's pretending you're a woman. He's like, yeah. He goes, no, that's not gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David Bowie. God bless you. Um, I've given you all uh, my best advice. I would, I would argue that it's both gay and okay. So good stuff. Good stuff. No, no, because he's pretending you're a woman. Uh-huh. I mean, you need listen, don't, don't contradict David Bowie. Fair enough. Who are you? Who am I to say? Um, Dan, I hear you played. Okay, so just let me preface this by saying I'm really fucking jealous that you picked up Horizon Zero Dawn. Because we have oh, this kind of... Oh, Zero yeah, Dawn. Zero Dawn. So listen, we have this unspoken rule on the podcast where generally speak... You have the fucking squeaky chair again. God damn you. Um, where generally we don't pick up the same game week to week or whatever. Just, just to kind of spread out what we end up talking about. Because, you know, that, that just makes sense. Dan jumped on Horizon Zero Dawn like a fat kid on a Skittle, and it's, uh, it's really chapping my ass because this game looks so cool. So please, Dan, do it justice. Make sure you tell us all about Horizon fucking Zero Dawn and how much fun Pass. you're having. Pass. Sorry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah. Here, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is um, everything you think and more, and something this game is is beautifully cinematic. Um, the environment looks gorgeous. You're in a, uh, a world that's it's so far in the future, it's the past again. Mm-hmm. Um, and while your culture is re- uh, reverted into tribalism and um, you've been thrown out of the tribe um, and you have sort of an adopted father taking care of you, uh, you also have all these other elements that are completely futuristic in the sense that uh, many of the animals have been replaced by machines. Mm. And the machines, for at one point, were not hostile, and now are. Mm. Um, and are they're all there's all these tribal takes on what's going on. Um, but you, uh, the the protagonist, which is um, a a female character who is, uh, it's funny because you know in a lot of games, uh, they 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 give you all these choices. This game gives you very few choices. Um, however, in certain dialogue moments, you get to choose between three responses. Um, a combative response, an intellectual sp- response, and a loving response. So, I mean, that's that's sort of the the most um, divergent the past paths get. Um, it's mostly linear linear storyline. Um, but given that because the story's on rails, they're able to 
to really put a beautiful sort of um, uh, narrative together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's as you're picturing it, um, Andy, you you're familiar with The Witcher. I know you didn't play it. Familiar with it? I'm I'm familiar with The Witcher. Yeah, but I, I no, I did play it. I played uh, played a about, little bit. Yeah, probably about eight hours, ten, ten hours of it. Yeah, loved it. So it's great. It, open world and 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 they they skirt this line of open world while still keeping it pretty tight so in the initial spot you're in um, an open world area that still keeps you sort of on on the rails in the sense that it's not huge there's points of interest there's uh you know these mechanized animals there's little there's side quests but it's if you found like in games that are as big as the witcher like you forget what the main quest is by the time you get back to it like the person you're talking about you're like who are you again what are we doing and actually that's one of my just sorry to interrupt you but that's one of my least favorite experiences not that i don't like sprawling open world games it's just if i don't latch on to the narrative and i'm not allowed to progress through the narrative in in an aggressive way that keeps me engaged and then sprinkling in a couple side quests you know i, I just find that what ends up happening is i drift away from the game and it's what happened to me in the witcher to truth be told so true and so um Aloy, your character, um, she's a hunter, and she, yet in the inception of the game, at the start, you have a bow and arrow, a couple different uh, maybe arrow types, and a spear. Um, but very quickly, she falls into um, you know an area uh, that has some advanced tech and gets something called a focus, which is a little bit like an earpiece that, when activated, lets her see things um, that are invisible. Um, to the normal folks in the world, like uh, tracks and information from machines, allows you to to focus on what the the different components of these animals are. Identify sorry, they're giant. They're like giant mechanized animals, right? Like the, from what they're, I've seen, they're everything, my man. They start from watchers, which are a little bit like um, I I would sort of uh, call them like big salamanders uh, with. Um, a big eye, a central eye, rather than you know the standard two-eyed head of a salamander. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it, it, most of the animals take another. They they are an animal archetype that they've taken over. So you get uh, you get um, uh, like I've seen deer and stuff. Deer and well, they 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 look a little bit like deer or elk. There are broadheads which look like um, bison or oxen. Um, there are stalkers um, and sawtooth and ravagers, which all seem like large, um, sort of like cat-like creatures, all the way up to sawteeth, which are or not sawteeth, but um, oh, uh, they're like giant alligators um, cool. and huge birds. And you know, they're they're genuinely interesting to hunt. There's there's different ways to go about it. Use laying traps. You, um, you know, use different arrows to break off components. There's different elemental weaknesses. So you have a lot of tools to bring to bear. And, uh, you know, what I got lost in is just hunting these animals um, and not necessarily taking on the storyline for a while, just exploring the world. Um, and it's something that my sweet, sweet girlfriend says, you know, it's a ton of fun to watch because the characters' faces look real, the snow falling, the wind blowing, the sun in the background. It's all um, just gorgeous. It's picturesque. It's cinematic. So, um, you know, all in all, um, you know, very enjoyable. I'm about 40 hours in right now. And, oh, uh, wow. Okay. And, and still, and still really enjoying the experience. Yeah, no, I mean, so everything I've seen is exactly as you've described it, which is, 
you know, some really interesting variety and landscape. Obviously, it's a beautiful game. But what I've actually been struck by is the fact that you've got a lot of variety in the way that they interpret like a post-apocalyptic world. So you have this open world that's being roamed by these giant, you know, mechanized beasts that gives you kind of a Monster Hunter vibe in many ways. The the combats that I've watched videos of look a lot like, you know, what I'm imagining uh, the new Monster Hunter is going to look like on the on the PlayStation. But, you know, in terms of the variety of how they're interpreting the apocalypse or whatever, it's it's like you described. You've got um, some settlements that look like they're out of, uh, or some ruins that look like they're out of ancient history. Like you're you're in a spot that looks like you know some Mayan ruins or something ancient, and then you know you go to a spot that looks like like a, what you would expect a post-apocalyptic city to look like with road signs and freeways and stuff like that. It's really neat how they tie that all together. It's it's kind of variety. Um, in a landscape that I don't think I've ever personally seen before. Um, yeah, you 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 really the note the, the the nail on the head there. And what what I really enjoyed too is there's this aspect of the game where because you have a female main character, you're you're almost expecting people to underestimate her because she's a woman, and that doesn't happen. But people do undercut her first because she's an outcast from the tribe, and then you know when she spoilers. Um, Earns some some credit in the tribe. The tribe, um, then she's as it ventures out into the world. She's undercut because she's a Nora, which is you know the a more tribal um, society. There's some that are a little bit more advanced. They're they're sort of the most tribal. Um, so you get those elements of being sort of looked down upon and underestimated. And she confronts them in a really sort of uh, brazen and powerful way. And that that's cool to be having those themes played out with without it being directly connected to her sex yeah it's not like uh it's it's yeah it's not a they didn't take the obvious route for feminism they went a different i like that that's great um and you know the the one other thing i wanted to ask you was the monster hunter elements that i was describing like the way that you have to identify weaknesses in these giant monsters through what's it called your focus yeah, exactly. Yeah, through your focus or whatever. Um, it that looks really cool, and that's something that really has me wanting to play it. So, are those are, are those varied, or that would like how would you rate that kind of that combat with those monsters? Is it as cool as it looks? Oh man, like like I said, it sidetracked me for easily twenty hours. Um, it's great. Um, and you want to you tend to want to try different approaches, and uh, you know, there's uh, for instance uh, these uh, creatures that are a lot like ostriches they're called uh, long legs long striders mm-hmm. something like that um they have um uh, the ability to charge at you to um, blast you with sonic um damage that sort of disorients you um they uh have uh, some elemental attacks and you you kind of have to decide which to prioritize what am i going to what's the most threatening tool they have um to that bring to bear against me for my play style um, and for me, I tend to blow up their lung area to, to prevent them from blasting me with sound. Um, but you, you, really, you really have to be hyper vigilant because even some of the starting creatures, um, you know, not approached in uh, an attackful way will ruin your afternoon with what they're doing. Um, uh, and uh, some neat, neat mechanics sort of open it up a little bit. Eventually, you get the ability to start to um, take over um, some of these creatures co-op them um, and sort of bring them over to your side, which uh, adds an interesting element to the game and and to have your strategy of how to sort of tackle them. 
Um, so lots of variability there keeps me coming back. Yeah, I love that. That sounds great. Well, it it genuinely looks like nothing I've played before, uh, and so I'm really excited to pick it up. That looks great. Um, Dan, I have a resounding message for you. Don't 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 feed weed to your dog. <laughs> so I just oh. I had to include this a little bit. Uh, sorry, another High Times article. Um, in my town, there is a a really great, real forward-thinking pet shop that has all manner of kind of, uh, uh, you know, innovative pet products. And these guys have recently started carrying CBD, CBD being one of the isolated um, compounds in, in weed, obviously, uh, most known for its anti-inflammatory properties and for its relaxing properties. And they are selling a ton of it. And what's actually really cool about it, so I don't know if it's cool necessarily, but CBD is still a very gray area product in Canada. It's not, you know, it, it's not meant to be widely sold, um, you know, it, sorry, how can I put this? It's not legal to sell CBD yet necessarily. There you go. Or that's, that's what I'm going for. And so, you know, I thought this was really cool. I've been asking, or I went in and asked them a little bit about, you know, what people are experiencing in terms of using it to treat various things in their in their pets, and they're very positive on it. And it's the usual things that you would expect, managing pain, you know, managing mood, managing temperament. If you have a hyperactive dog, like, frankly, I have a hyperactive dog uh, who is a very nervous fella, uh, love him to death, but, you know, I'm thinking maybe some CBD could do him well. But High Times actually had a really interesting article uh, just speaking about how CBD can be um, a really great supplement to use for your pet. Important key element, though, is that pets apparently can't metabolize THC in the same way that we can. So a little bit of a red flag here because someone might make the jump from, oh, it's cool to give my dog CBD. Maybe I should just feed them weed or extract or whatever, and it's no big deal or an edible or what have you. Definitely don't do that. Apparently, dogs and cats don't metabolize THC in the same way as humans, meaning that, um, and I don't know if I read this properly, but High Times is claiming that it could actually be fatal for a pet, which is strange to me, but because of course it can't be fatal for a human, but you know, certainly alarming. It can be, it can be, but you need to consume like 50 pounds. Oh, I see. So like it'd be the same as like having to consume, you know, a whole right. case of cotton swabs. <laughs> you just wouldn't ever right. do it. Well, yeah, there's something called an LD50, which is a, 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 um, serving that would be lethal for 50% of the population. And you can find the LD50s for uh, almost every compound and chemical out there. And the lethal doge, dosage, the LD50 of, uh, of THC or you're such a you're such a chef boy RD piece of gab. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I thought I just muted. I thought I muted my mic. Well, that's not coming out in post. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, do you say it's not coming out in no, post? Definitely not. Please continue. Oh, you're you're yeah. There's the the quality and committed editor podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So so there's an LD50 on pot is like a truckload. You'd have to smoke like 50 pounds, and you'd tap out long before you got there. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, apparently pets can't metabolize THC um, like humans can. So without kind of regarding that LD50 high end limit for, for, you know, killing a human, for example, uh, I imagine that means that it's much easier for a pet to, you know, achieve that, um, that threshold. And at the same time, it also means that if a pet consumes THC, they're going to be high for a really long time, which I think we can probably all agree is not not a cool thing to be dosing your pet with. So I can personally attest to this fact. 
Oh no, maybe a story I don't want to hear. <laughs> We've already heard it. Uh, you know, uh, somebody's dog got into somebody's stash and ate the whole thing. Oof. And by the time they realized what had happened, um, it was far too late. And uh, the animal was fine. I'm happy to report, but uh, was was uh, I would say probably uncomfortably high for. Um, four or five days so uh, caution to be taken in the future yeah no that 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 makes perfect sense to me and and certainly is not something that I'd ever want to inflict on an animal so makes sense good stuff um okay Dan can I talk about my JRPG I played oh man can you ever (laughs) so listen um we haven't talked about it in fact you know what I don't have a ton of experience with JRPGs so for anybody out there listening who's like what in the fuck are you talking about a JRPG is a Japanese RPG um in the in the vein of like a Final Fantasy or something like that um I haven't played a lot of them over time like you know I think one of my earliest ones that I played what what, what JRPGs have you played Dan let me ask you Oh, uh, uh, is it uh, Legends of the Dragoon? Is that what it is? Yep, uh, Legend of the Dragoon was one on my list as well. I played, that was one of my yeah. favorite earlier uh, PlayStation titles. Great. Chrono Cross, uh, Chrono Trigger. Um, it definitely got down on some Final Fantasies. Of course. Um, uh, fun fact, I, I, I beat Final Fantasy VII in one sitting. That is fucking ridiculous. I think we, yeah, we, oh, man. yeah, boy. That's, that's 76 hours of glory. And let me tell you, um, it will, it'll kind of wreck your brain a little bit. Like I, I remember, uh, I was a, a younger man that borrowed a PlayStation, borrowed, a, uh, borrowed Final Fantasy VII, had a weekend to complete it. And I remember after, uh, I, I, whenever I closed my eyes, I could see the game. It was right there. You know, that's a bad oh, thing. So yeah, that's, that's not a, oh, that's not man. a good thing for a young mind. I think that's probably the reason why whenever someone turns on a microwave, you piss yourself. Uh, and forget how to do math. Yes. Yep. Well, probably a bad thing. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, JRPGs, and it's funny because it's a bit of an ethereal definition, right? Like, strictly speaking, a JRPG is an RPG that was made in Japan, but they very much have more of a flavor. And I did a little bit of digging on what what some people define JRPG as because, like, I went really deep recently on Bravely Default. And when I say really deep, I mean, like, pinky deep because JRPGs tend to be really fucking long and I'm only, like, 15 or 16 hours into this thing. So still got a long way to go. Um, But I'm really enjoying it. And so, you know, I'm a fan of traditional RPGs. Um, You know, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of anything from Ultima all the way on up to, you know, more recent entries like, for example, your Skyrims and your Dragon Age Inquisitions, et cetera. Um... And from what, I've, what I understand, the difference between a JRPG and a Western RPG, and, and I found these quite interesting, first and foremost, um, that JRPGs tend to have more linear and generally richer storytelling. And when I say richer, I mean uh, there's a more focused story around a main protagonist, which also seems to be the other major difference. What do you, what's the first thing you do when you load up Skyrim, Dan? Well, after I play through the, the unskippable type tutorial, oh, I usually worst. throw whatever key item I have in my hand, whether it be an amulet or whatever it is, into a river, and then I run off gallivanting into the countryside to do the 100 million side quests and check everything out. Right, and so that's after you've done the very first thing, which is what I was angling at. Sorry if I didn't, I didn't make that oh, one Oh, the character quick. generation. The character generation. After you've made Ru- Rugolf the Unbearable, out of, you know, a set of <laughs> 400 different presets that, um, you know, that you can mix and match to create your own unique character. JRPGs are not known for this. 
right? JRPGs, um, you know, like to put you in the in the shoes of a very well defined character. You're Cloud from Final Fantasy, or sometimes you get to name. Sometimes you sometimes. get to name them. Yes, exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. So it's it, that 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 seems to me some pretty some pretty obvious differences. Um, and then uh, the other element is you know you you've generally got more turn based, more complex, more nuanced uh, battle systems, along with something more. I think we can probably just call it what it is. More of like an anime aesthetic usually. And even if it's not like an anime aesthetic, it's still typically again i say typically because there's no general rule um, a little bit more whimsical a little bit more imaginative you've got more airships you're not you're less concerned with realism for example than maybe a western rpg might be um and all of those elements you know come together to create a pretty definitive experience known as the jrpg so right a lot of a lot of the time you're uh, playing a loner with a very silly haircut an oversized weapon and uh usually i would say probably 90 percent of the time you don't speak for whatever reasons or you're very brief yeah or, or yeah, yeah exactly and in this in this specific jrpg bravely default uh the there is a little bit more of that kind of presence of talking from the main character tiz but it's true um you know the swords are always bigger in jrpgs they just make them bigger for whatever reason they're compensating for something no doubt uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because the more I read on JRPGs, the more I understand that it's not just like cutesy anime tropes. A lot of these games try and subvert and recreate their own, their own tropes and their own themes. And Bravely Default's done a really interesting job of doing that on, um, on the combat part of this game. So I can tell you a little bit about that. But So have you, have you ever seen Bravely Default? So it's a 3DS title uh, that came out in 2014. Have you heard anything about it? I, it t I totally missed it. Okay. So it's actually done by Square Enix, and it's pretty much exactly like a Final Fantasy game. And the best way I can describe this is it's, yes, it's a spiritual successor, but it's even more than that. It is a job-based JRPG that uses the same names for attacks and items that Final Fantasy does. So you're, you know, you're hitting hitting enemies with with, you know, thunder and fire and blizzard and, you know, the the various incarnations of those spells. You're playing with black mages and white mages and, you know, monks and thieves and and, you know, all of those classes very much feel like a Final Fantasy game. So it has that kind of that kind of lineage and I mean, I don't know. Are you a job like are are you a job a class fan? Like, is that something that that's that resounds with you? Uh, I mean, nostalgically, absolutely. But you know, if that were really true, I would still be playing those games. And when I fire up Final Fantasy VII, usually the nostalgia is not enough to keep me in because the pace just feels a little bit uh, dragging. Yeah, for you sure. Know what I mean? Oh, hundred percent. And and you know, I mean, it's it's a common common statement that JRPGs take a while to get off the ground. Bravely Default, I found wasn't too bad in terms of getting up to its speed quickly. Uh, when I say job based, though, I mean the jobs play such an integral role in the game. For example, what you're going to find yourself doing is going through in the beginning main storyline quests to pick up classes like the monk, the crusader, the black mage, the white mage, and you actually. Um, earn these jobs by completing main story beats, right? But then it opens up to having more 
uh, side quests that you can optionally go on to unlock new classes. So you're almost unlocking these in a very novel way um, that's, that's got a lot of story around it typically. And so I find that really cool. And, and what Bravely Default does well is as your characters level up, um, you're able to combine elements from these different classes like a Final Fantasy Tactics or something like that, which, which is cool because you can have your monk and he can also use a thief ability. So that, that's really neat. Uh, the story is about a young lad named Tiz whose village gets obliterated from the face of the earth into a giant smoking crater um, on the precipice of which he meets this uh, quasi-deity, um, you know, leader of a nebulous religious organization devoted to crystals and they end up going on a quest together to figure out kind of what the hell happened to you know to his town and what's going on with the oceans they're rotting away and it's you know the world is rapidly descending into darkness no no not a ton of originality on that trope if we're being completely honest um but it's interesting because though the story is campy and cliche, it's really accessible. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't throw a lot of complex ideas at you off the hop. And I found that that was really useful in getting me into the story. Yeah, Do you know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. It, it sort of spoon fed, fed you the first couple things. Yeah, it spoon fed me. And at the same time, it, it presented me with a story that was easy to follow. And you know what? That's one of the things that. I have to be. I have to wade into a game. I find that the pacing of the early game is such a make or break for me. If you can, if you can take me by the hand, introduce me to a couple characters that I care about, give me a very general, very easy to digest storyline without introducing too many political or you know, you know, philosophical commentary. <laughs> you can get to that later, but please don't give it to me off the hop. I found that Bravely Default was really good at doing that. Uh, and it also, speaking of those those individual characters, in-party banter happens. So there'll be a moment where it'll say, press the Y button, and you'll do that, and your party will just Is start talking to each other. Really cool. No, sorry, it's not in combat. It's like while you're on the world map, you know, you're walking between dungeons or between quests or whatever. Um, you'll hit the button when it prompts you and they'll either have like a conversation about directly what's happening or maybe even a more sort of uh, just bantery conversation. But it does a lot actually to draw you into the world, um, which by the way, has an incredible aesthetic. It's like straight up Square Enix at its best Final Fantasy creating beautiful looking matte paintings of cities that, you know, although they're represented on a Nintendo DS and, you know, you're really only seeing, I don't know, like uh, a couple frames of a matte painting that you walk your character around really can evoke the feeling of a sprawling city, you know, strategically lit with lamps, you know, and, and with a very unique flavor in and of itself. Um, even though you've only got like two or three places or doors you can actually walk through, which is kind of cool. Now, which is now cool. I, I remember hearing something about this game, maybe from you about um, something, some mechanics to help speed up combat. Oh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, I mentioned that because initially I was really chuffed about it. I remember we were talking about it, and I think that was like two minutes before I thought I was going to quit the game. Right. So so Bravely Default does this weird thing. They've got this twist on, on um, turn-based combat. I'm going to go on a little bit of a preamble here. So turn-based combat to me 
starts feeling rote and weird and non-strategic during the grind. So typically in a JRPG, you've got this moment where you need to level yourself up to overcome like a milestone task. Like yeah, your whole party's just a little bit too weak to take on the giant fucking four-eyed chicken monster, right? And so you go out into the wild and you start grinding down worms or birds or whatever the whatever the overland monster is or the, the monster on the first floor of the dungeon or whatever you want to call it. Um, and you've got this this rhythm you fall into of kind of using the same attacks over and over again. There's not a ton of strategy to it. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, what the fuck is the point of this? Am huge I, yawn. I playing? yawn. Bravely, huge yawn, huge, massive yawn. Bravely default does this. And I thought it was absolutely ridiculous until I realized it was fucking genius. Okay. So hear me out. Bravely default does this thing where you can put your party on auto mode. So if you've just completed a round of combat, let's say I take my first character and I attack, my second character and I heal, my third character I use a spell to target all the enemy enemy enemies, enemy enemies, <laughs> is that a thing? Uh, and then my fourth, <laughs> my fourth character to, I don't know, use another spell or something like that, right? Um, I can hit the, the auto button and they'll continue to do that turn after turn after turn. And you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. I've loaded up a combat and my... And you can also speed up the animations. So you can like do six times the speed. So basically the combat loads up, your party executes all of their abilities, the enemies do the same thing, and it does goes again and again and again until the enemy's dead. And immediately I looked at this and I was like, this is ridiculous. You're not even going to play the game? That's crazy. But what I realized is they've cleverly taken the grind mechanic, which can be such a bear on other JRPGs and turned it into a macro optimization game. Stay with me because I know that sounded like a fucking <laughs> mouthful. A, mac a macro optimization game, meaning I have to determine the most general sequence of attacks for the enemies in this area that will defeat them while consuming the least amount of resources possible. And it has to be general enough that if I get, you know, fire elementals versus, you know, birds, uh, it still defeats them all. So I can't go too hyper-specialized. And then I can do my grinding watching as this optimization occurs and I use as the least amount of resources possible. Maybe I go in and tweak my moves, my moves until I'm in this real groove of grinding shit out. And by the time I find, by the time I've settled into the, the mode where I'm defeating those monsters consistently, um, you know, in, in auto mode, I'm done grinding. And I think to myself, wow, that's a really cool little game so that I just discovered. this makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, it's, when you, when you're in that grind phase where you got some guys to kill and you know maybe it's not super interesting, the temptation is to use one of your guys' cool moves. You know whether it's the limit break right. or whatever it is. You know you're, you're you want to go big, um, but maybe that's not the best use of your resources. But entertainment, right? So being able to set up some efficient. Uh, strings of moves and apply them at high speed over and over again i get the appeal of that yeah it's it's really cool and i really enjoy it and you know you get through that grinding um because it's, it's kind of a hallmark of jrpgs and you're kind of you know what you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't if you if you omit the grind entirely then you know 
basically you're running from boss to boss to boss and, and having those strategic fights, but something is lost there. The sense of the sense of uh, movement and destiny and, and destination is kind of gone. Speaking of which, here's another, and I don't want to go too far, you know, too far down the rabbit hole of all of the things that Bravely Default does. They also have a difficulty slider, which means you can literally turn it down to zero. And as you're walking around, you encounter mm. no enemies. Conversely, you can pump it all the way up to a, a, a double, which means you encounter double the amount of enemies. So it's really wild, and I had a hard time getting my mind around it. It feels like a, like a, like a hack, right? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm out of resources, and I'm in this dungeon, and I'm deep. I can just turn my enemy slider all the way down and get the fuck out of here. Realistically, though, when I think about it, it's like, that's actually a genius idea. Because first and foremost... You always have to have a way to get out of an impossible situation. I don't know how many save games have been ruined in the past from JRPGs that overlook this, but let's say that you you save yourself in a spot where it's literally impossible with the resources you have you're to escape the right dungeon. Up. You're jammed right up. You're looking at the face of defeat. You're jammed. Face of defeat over and over again. In this way, you can actually take the, the difficulty all the way down and, and, and generally remove the challenge of encountering random monsters at any point but you can also double it up, which means that I can run around a level, I can discover all the chests, I can do it kind of at my late leisure, and then I can consciously say, okay, I'm going to start encountering everything and do that, and then I can go on to the boss. It sounds really cheesy, um, but it's created this kind of play rhythm that I'm really appreciating that lets me appreciate the exploration, and then lets me appreciate this combat, and then lets me appreciate the boss in this really satisfying way. And I've also I've also rationalized it in my head that when I take the enemies all the way down, I'm like sneaking around the dungeon. They're playing. You know they're playing I mean? the sneaky. That's, that's how I'm. Na 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 na. Is that the sneaky music? Na, 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 that's na, what that sounds like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, all of those, again, I, I may have, I, I'm excited about it. So I'm, I'm maybe going overboard here, but it, it just, it struck me as a really cool innovation. Last innovation that Bravely Default brings to the table. You can use your Brave or your default abilities to either bank, default is bank a move for a future turn, or Brave is use up to four of your moves in advance. So on turn one, I can have, if, if everybody can attack, I, I can have all of my characters attack four times. Now, if they don't wipe all the enemies out, the enemies now get four turns. But that means that this game really awards having kind of some burst combat at the beginning when you're talking about the grind, right? So it's, it's kind of neat because you can get through a combat quickly and it still feels strategic. It doesn't feel like, you know, they've overinflated your effectiveness or anything like that. It's it's because there's a there's a real penalty if you don't mm. nail it, right? So there's there's some there's some gauging how much damage output you have. Do I only do two extra attacks or one extra attack? It's hard to describe, but really neat in practice. Something I've never seen before. And I think it, it just speaks to the innovation of this game, which I just freaking love. That sounds pretty rad. I might have to get a little bravely default myself. So yeah, I, I would recommend you check it out for sure. And if that's not waxing poetic, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, really Can I ask you a question? Dan, why don't you, we... You why don't... How, uh, portable games are so often toying with the idea of like um, bringing your friends in. You know what I mean? Like anytime there's a mobile platform, they're mm -hmm. like, your friend can join you. Yeah. Why do you think they do this? Right. Well, I mean, you know, I think that the obvious answer is that the more people collectively are playing the game, the more likely they are to continue playing that game and to kind of crowd crowd spread out that uh, group think out that game to other people. Um, 
I think that there's some sort of sense that on mobile you want to have connectedness. Yeah, but does that make sense? Yes, and like, uh, is it that uh, you know they expect that we're all getting together with our 3ds's and playing? You know what I mean? Is that? I'm sure. I'm sure some people are. To be fair, Um, but I've never. I I have not done that since I was like playing the original Pokemon Blue and making a trade for that last, you know, that last exclusive Pokemon that was only in red. Yes. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, happening like, anywhere else. I feel else. like we, you need to like specifically set these situations up, but maybe in places like Japan where the mobile game industry is so much bigger, um, you know, you're where you run into people on the bus that are playing the game and oh, there's, you know, there's, they're especially ones with more condensed populations. Maybe they're getting down on that all the time. I mean, it's a it's a happy idea uh, that that would happen. It'd be cool to be playing Monster Hunter on a bus, and there's a dude next to you who's also playing Monster Hunter, and now you guys are both playing Monster Hunter together. But it sounds like the kind of thing that would only happen in a commercial. Right. You you <laughs> so, guys either give each other either know. a welcoming, supportive glance or a menacing combative combative glance, and then before you move ahead, yeah, or a hand job. What? Yep. Let's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you want to sm- yeah, smoke? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever topic change. <laughs> Transit hand job. Oh, Transit hand jobs, the best kind. Yeah. All right, buddy. Um. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we trans over into the trans over, transit over, trans transition over. Welcome to the smoke sesh, my deej. Um, so we've got a little bit of a logistical hurdle, don't we, Dan? Yeah, we are in two different places without the same bud. The, without the same nug. And in the future, I think maybe we go for having the same bud, because that would make life a little bit simpler. But this time we're going to have, let's, let's make it a positive. Let's spin that frown upside down and let's make it a double header this week. Yeah, I'm going to be smoking on some sweet tooth which I'm pretty excited about. And what do you have in the old pipe there, Dan? Uh, I'm looking down the barrel, some purple kush. Ooh, purple kush. Sounds nice. Whoop, whoop, as the kids say, I think. Or the trains on Thomas the Tank Yeah, that's what the kids said in 1988. There you go. Well, you know, listen, I mean, starting... That's your finger uh, right on that, right on that pulse. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Feeling current, feeling fresh. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this uh, this sweet tooth. Um, I've actually had this strain for a little while now, and unfortunately, uh, you can see on our Instagram story, I'm almost bankrupt uh, on it because I've um, I've gone ahead and given most of it to some friends who helped us move. So now I'm stuck with like the tiniest nug of all time, but I'm going to go ahead and try and give it a, a, a quick summation. Let me take a look. So this is Sweet Tooth. Of course, we've read nothing about this on Leafly yet, and we will in a minute. Uh, but my first blush, you know, I'm getting the smell of, it's very fresh. Um, the nug is uh, kind of like, um, it's very frosty. The pistols on it are uh, a rusty uh a rusty brown mixed with like an orange creamsicle. So there's there's a couple different ones here. It's a very tightly packed nug. It's a very crystalline nug. Like as I'm touching it, it's almost crumbling in my fingers, which is kind of neat. Uh, and 
The smell, I'm just trying to get a good good nose on this bad boy. Ooh, okay. I'm smelling a little bit of cedar. It's almost like a cedar trunk, cedar chest. There's uh, a little bit of ooh, it's like in the back of my in the back of my throat. I'm getting a little bit of that sugar. I mean, it should be obvious because it's called sweet tooth, but I'm getting a little bit of that sweet. And um, I yeah, I would say it's got some floral notes in there. It's, it's almost like taking a big sniff on a uh, on a sweet smelling lily. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm. That's what I got. What about you, man? Give me the purple urkel or purple. Sorry, purple Kush. Well, this purple Kush, yeah, dark in color, rusty. Rusty hairs throughout. Um, it's real tightly packed. Um, just a medium amount of crystalline uh, presence there. And on the nose, I, when I first opened the jar, I could smell like um, uh, almost oatmeal, which is odd. Um, but as I sort of get into it, it's both kind of like earthy and like sweet. You can really, it really smells like you know, candy and just cheating a little bit. It's called purple, so I'm guessing it has a little bit of that grape vibe in mm. where that's that sweetness is coming from. Yeah, I got that. I got that. Okay, cool. Well it's, what what do you uh go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. No, oh, I was just gonna say what are you what are you smoking her out of today? Um just right out of the palm of my hand today. Uh, oh okay together fire in the palm of my hand and harnessing it like a god would. Ah, I love that, man. I mean, I, uh, I I saw a YouTube or an Instagram video, excuse me, a little while ago of a, of a gentleman, a young gentleman who looked like he couldn't have very many brains, um, stuffing a nug up his nose, lighting it aflame, and uh, inhaling directly through his nasal passages um, as, it, as it continued to burn inside his nostril. Uh, that's something you can never come back from. Uh, it's no. an instigator of, of bad dreams. And yes. I, I implore you, if you ever think about doing that, uh, don't. Lock yourself in a room and call the police. Man, he did it for the vine. Like, let's be honest. He did it for the views. He's, he goes, I'm going to get some juice off this for sure. And uh, listen, we're talking about it. So yeah, we're kudos enablers. Kudos to you. Kudos to you, nasal passage uh, <laughs> a toker. Um, you are truly the greatest of idiots. Yes, the highest, the highest of the of the idiots. Um, all right, why don't we do this? I'm gonna go ahead and burst your bubble on purple Kush. Maybe not. Maybe you're 100% accurate. And then you go ahead and do the same for me on sweet tooth. So what does Leafly have to say? Well, kind of hard to find because Leafly's search function feels like it was engineered out of a couple couple rolls of duct tape and a broom handle. Um, what I, I what I was saying earlier was that like if you're just going to Leafly.com and try to find a a, a sexy search function, it's you're going uphill on that one. It's uh, mm. it, it, it's uh, designed to uh, be a rage-inducing experience. Good thing. It feels like something. I'm searching for something on Bing. You know what I mean? Like you search for something and you're it gives you like asking Jeeves, perhaps asking Jeeves for my fucking strain. So it's always better if I go through Google and type in Leafly Purple Kush. And here we are on the correct page. Leafly Purple Kush has a 4.3 review. I got to be honest with you. I don't see a lot of strains that are under like a four. Because let's be real, who you know who who smokes a strain? Maybe maybe a bad you know a bad grow of it. But who smokes a strain and goes, I fucking hated that strain. I've never done it. Listen, Purple- we got a we got a uh, future segment, the reviewing the lowest <laughs> the lowest rated weed <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> and oh, I'm just picturing it right now. It's like smelling of fecal matter and uh, horse hoofs. Uh, mm. This strain uh, gives. Shocking anxiety makes you feel like you're falling down a well. 
Yeah, known for its violent diarrhea. Yeah, no, I, I will, we'll definitely have to do that episode. We'll entitle it The Poop Sock, and I look for it coming to a purple dungeon squid near you. Um, this purple kush is a pure indica strain that emerged from the Oakland area of California. Are you eating something right now? What's happening? Oh, you're grinding. I can hear you grinding. There you go. Silence that chair. Purple don't, kush don't, is... don't worry. Uh, just from an audio note, it comes in real low. Um, on the actual levels here, so you're you're a okay there, uh, Mississippi, Mississippi Jack. In the uh, in the moment, it makes me want to want to throttle you and your future generations. But for for now, I'll I'll let it slide. Purple I recommend Kush you try. Yes, Purple Kush is a pure indica strain that emerged from the Oakland area of California as a result of a Hindu Kush and a purple Afghani cross. Its aroma is subtle and earthy, there you go, with sweet overtones typical of Kush varietals. Blissful, long-lasting euphoria blankets the mind while physical relaxation rids the body of pain, sleeplessness, and stress. Cool, it sounds like you're in for a good treat. Primary scent is earthy, second is sweet, Third is pungent, so that's kind of neat. Um, and it's yeah, it's got some good reviews. Dank Sack 2 says, Had a toke for my buddy's vape, and I hate the taste of vape leaves in my mouth, but this was really not bad. The smell had a hubba-bubba grape smell to it. Instantly hit me. I could feel my back and hips just feeling that they could melt onto the floor. Cool, that was neat. So it sounds like you're in for a good time. Tell me about, uh, tell me about my sweet tooth. All right, so... Uh, Sweet Tooth was awarded first place at the High Times Cannabis Cup in 2001. Oh, nice. And you could possibly uh, guess from the name that it has this sweet smell of flowers and berries that Shut accompany up. it. Shut up. Oh, yeah, buddy. No. Did I nail the flower thing? That you may have. The potent colas of this balanced hybrid are candy-coated with trichum, providing uplifted and euphoric effects uh, that are great for combating stress and headaches. Also, you may be hunted by a gang of raptors directly after smoking this. Make sure that they don't circle around like a, a couple of clever girls. I mean, I mean, I'm even real afraid of dinosaurs for the next little while, so fuck you for that. Specifically raptors. Mm -hmm. um, Specifically raptors. But, but clever girl. Hmm. I'm really excited that I nailed uh, it on know, the flower thing. That's awesome. Did you know that Jeff Goldblum has signed on for Jurassic World 2? No. And listen, oh, Jeff Goldblum, man. one of my all-time favorite actors. He's got it. He's got Jeff. Jeff Goldblum has Jeff Goldblum down to a T. He knows who he is. He knows how to emote himself. And for that, I take my hat off to you, sir. You, you get to a point in your career where you're a caricature of yourself, and he is there. And I couldn't be more pleased. Um, keen viewers will go back and see uh, Jurassic Park the first. And I mm. want you to listen for the Goldblum laugh. He chuckles to himself in a way that only Jeff Goldblum could. And it sounds something like this. It sounds like... <laughs> oh, yeah, that is and, the Jeff Goldblum. And it is... Just golden. Just golden. So speaking of golden, um, nope, bad segue. But tell me about the. So flavors. let's try this again. Who's gonna Who's gonna spark up first? Should be. Uh, you need to tell me the flavors. You need to give me the three flavor notes on on Leafly, there, friend. Don't rob me of that. Don't rob me of this victory. What do you mean? If you scroll down, it'll say flavors. There'll be three. Oh, I already I already said them out loud there in the description. Oh, I'm sorry. So flower. Which one was flowers? 
Mm. Which uh, what was flowers? So was it number one, number two, or number three? Oh, oh, and the flavor like pictograph down the page. Yes, yes, correct. It's it's exactly in the order that I mentioned them: sweet, flowery, and berry. I'm so excited, man! This is like this is a big moment for me. I'm officially a weed sommelier. I think that's that's correct, right? Um, I mean. Maybe get down a couple notches at the high horse. Just nope, go, just, hey, nope. I, I nailed this one. No, 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 Listen, yep, yep. this is like giving yourself your own nickname. It's just not how it works. You can't declare yourself a Nugsman. If that's something that has to be gifted upon you after like a strong heritage uh, and uh, get a little too big for your britches, I think. I understand. It's the distinction between hand job and jerking it. I understand. I got you. Let's go ahead. I'm going to take the first I guess got to tell you that there's no... Distinction between those two. Oh, yeah. That so is the chill pants. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm inside, Sorry. so I've taken a very small puff so as not to uh, stink up my kitchen. But boy, is that ever a delightful flavor. So I've got a little bit of. Mm, a little bit about that floweriness in my nose right now. It's a really pleasant kind of floral note. Very crisp, very clean. Um, and yeah, I'm just overall really enjoying that. Go ahead, Dan. Why don't you, uh, why don't you partake in that purple kush? Let me just uh, let me blaze down on this, mother father. Uh, that's an approachable bud, really earthy and smooth. Mm. Um, the berry taste is just ever so slightly around the uh, edges on that one, and uh, this one, uh, this one's well balanced. Um, I always get a little bit worried climbing up on a serious cush as a, as this one, but uh, it's uh, it's made itself known as a friend quite early on in the experience ah first contact is friendly yeah this so you know i feel um this sweet tooth initially in my spine it's very relaxing it's almost like i've had some tension there that i didn't know i was carrying and now that's that's kind of melted away a little bit um feeling very alert still you know there, no no um no kind of droopy or sleepiness to it so yeah i'm i'm uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to to jump into the back half here the second, uh, my second pass on it, I, I can taste green. I know that always sounds weird. Some weed tastes greener than others. That weed tastes green. Green. Oh, that's an green. interesting flavor to describe. Nice. I mean, I'm no, uh, I'm no weed sommelier, so there's probably a better, uh, maybe rich juniper is the right way to say that, but it tastes green. Rich juniper. How festively appropriate. How festively appropriate. Dan, I have some, I just, I can't contain it anymore. We have our first listener mail. This is a big day for us, my friend. We will look back on this day sometime and think Stewman124, that is the day that he sent us an email. And what, what does Stu write to us? Uh, Stewman124 asks, Hey guys, really digging the show. I'm just a, ca or, uh, excuse me, I'm just a casual gamer, but I love games and I love weed, so your show really works for me, LOL. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you after smoking? And I immediately knew what the answer was. So, uh, sorry, I, I, I probably should have posed the question to you first, Dan, but I'm going to jump right in. Um, I was at the cottage with my wife probably five or six years ago. And, you know, we'd had a small little joint, a modest joint, let's call it, uh, before settling into a movie. 
Um, and, you know, we had a delightful treat in the fridge. It was some pre-wrapped drumsticks. Are you familiar with drumsticks, Dan? Um, yeah, they're the handheld treat that looks a lot like the microphone I'm talking into right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if it's an American thing, but basically it's like a pre-wrapped ice cream cone. Um, and so, you know, generally you take the wrapping off, you enjoy your ice cream cone and away you go. So we're both sitting there unwrapping our cones. I dip into my cone and, you know, I bite into it. There's chocolate. There's, you know, the, the, the creamy ice cream. There's the crackle of the cone. I'm all the way down to the very last bite, which as you may know, is some, some solid chocolate that they've hidden in the last bite, the bottom of the cone. Real nice touch. And I look over at, uh, at my wife and she's sitting there trying to unwrap her cone. And I think to myself, surely this woman can get a cone open in the last, you know, five minutes it's taken me to eat this. And then I look beside her and her cone wrapping is already on the ground. It turns out that someone in the factory had double wrapped this cone, but it was mind blowing because at the time we had freshly smoked a joint and you can imagine unwrapping your ice cream cone only to find that it's still wrapped. Genuinely a strange moment. That is weird. So and weird. if I can give if I can give the logical explanation, so the machine that puts on the wrap, those wraps have a little bit of stick on it, and if the machine doesn't do its job right, it'll hit it with that double wrap. The double wrap. Always good unless you're in the bedroom. Then it's bad, folks. Practice safe family planning. Yeah, and let me tell you, actually, never double wrap because there's never a purpose to do that. One condom is always enough. If your proposal is, this woman is suspect, uh, or partner is suspect, so I'm going to enforce a double condom thing. Maybe exercise better judgment with your partners. And number two, from a, a logistical standpoint, the friction between the two condoms can cause some breakage. Uh, sure. And so just, um, that's a no-no. So, uh, Maybe some over-the-shirt stuff that night. Just do some over-the-shirt stuff <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, make sure you wear two gloves. And one a full leather body suit. And one leather and one mitten, so as not to risk any of your fingers. And a hazmat um, jumper. What about you, I Dan? What's, uh, what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you after smoking? All right, man. So uh, mine is bizarre. So I've just blazed, and I get a phone call. And uh, the voice sounds familiar on the other end. And I'm like, uh, and he's talking in a way that he knows me as my friend. He's like, hey. Hey, Dan, how's it going? And I'm like, hmm, I think this is my buddy Eric. Sounds like Eric. So I'm like, oh, hey, man, um, I'm good. Is this Eric? And he's like, yeah, it's Eric. I was like, cool, brother. And, and, we, start, and we start chatting. I'm like, hey, are you still up in, uh, you know, Tiverton? And he's like, Tiverton? No, I, I never lived in Tiverton. And he's like, how's like that talking? He's like, how's Julie? How's paving? And I'm like, Julie paving? I'm like, hey, man, is this Eric? And I'll say it. It says last name. And he's like, oh, no, this is Eric. I like, you know, Truman or whatever. And I was like, oh, oh, I, this is Dan Thomas. He's like, oh. So he had been calling. And I've had my number forever, as you well know. Andy. Yes, indeed, um, since I've known you, which is a long time. Yeah, I, I stick to a number. He, uh, number he, loyal. He was, he was calling me looking for his buddy, Dan. Who was not me, but I sound enough like him that he, he it was so he will not, a, he's not a 65 year old, you know, minor and <laughs> sounded enough like my buddy Eric um, that I guess it was Eric. And this guy's name is Eric. 
Dude, that so is he said, some yeah. Twilight Zone shit right there. It, that is some one. That is a glitch in, in the Matrix. Million. Yeah, and I it was like we took it to such a good place. I was like, hey man, well you seem pretty cool. So if you're coming through Toronto, <laughs> drop me a line. I'm I mean, <laughs> it's it, you know, we'll maybe grab a beer. It was that funny. And he's like, he's like, yeah, it never ended up happening. But yeah, uh, you're going to fall through a wormhole someday and meet Eric on the other side. Let me tell you, oh, that is an episode of Sliders right there. In the moment that that happened and my brain was trying to sort out how it was, he's, it was Dan and Eric and it wasn't. I felt like I was falling backwards into a well. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> no doubt. That is a, that is a genuinely trippy thing to happen. Uh, goodness, we actually had a second email from Roth Killer. Um, I don't that, that <laughs> like like it just it feels like someone who's pl- gently plotting out the the death of Eli Roth. So Roth Killer, if you're out there, change your uh, change your name before I uh, you know get you arrested. Um, boy, that's a strange thing to say to our second email guy. Sorry, Roth Killer, you're a, Roth, you're a co- don't 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 hate on Roth so hard. Maybe he's been taking out all the more dangerous Roth. That we're not familiar with. I see. Um, and I've heard said, and I agree that it, it's not the first actor, but the 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 one who follows him that is truly the bravest. That's uh, true. And I, I'm Roth. You're that guy. Let's not sleep on that second email. He's that guy for us. He's that guy for us. The Roth are actually a a microorganism um, present in our in our homes and in our workplaces that uh, that threaten to overwhelm our very civilization if not for Roth killer keeping them at bay. So okay, let me God do, bless you, sir. Me, Thank you for let your. Let me do a. Let me do a. a um, Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. Nice. Wow. Nice. Well played. Uh, I, yeah, I feel like I should do something Vince Vaughn in this moment, but I, I got nothing for you. Um, what I would be doing saying something Vince Vaughn is saying a couple of words really quick, like um, like. What am I, a Roth? Sometimes a Roth killer? You can come in here, you do your thing. I see you using your tools. You're going to get all the nah. Roths. I don't know if you're going to do them. Buddy, I'm too high for that shit. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what I do have for you is a Roth killer email. Show is real good, man. What games are you looking forward to next year? Andy should buy a damn Switch already at Rocks. I mean, that seems like a sign. I think that I can take that all the way to the bank. Um, I don't know. What games are you looking forward to next year, Dan? I, I haven't given it any thought. 2017 has got some bangers in it. Um, I feel bad for Roth Killer. I had I had Stu Man 124's answer right queued up. I haven't even thought about Roth Killer's answer. Sorry, buddy. Apologize for the hate. And you know what? It means this whole you're going to be spitting off the dome. Um, the new Project Red uh, game, the cyberpunk uh, futuristic game. Uh, I think it's a little bit like Deus Ex thematically. It seems. I think. Oh it's yeah. Called- Cyberpunk 2099? That's the real show. Uh, it is Cyberpunk 2077. And yeah, we had a we had a shot of that um, of that some of that key art earlier on in our Instagram feed, which I just found. I saw that. I just absolutely loved it. It looks like, you know, do you know what? Um, what's the name of that game? It's a tabletop RPG. It's called uh, Rifts. It, it has it has like the same kind of aesthetic of the quasi post-apocalyptic slash minority report cyberpunk future. Uh, really, really dug the aesthetic of it. And um, if it's any, you know, if CD Projekt Red is involved and it's got, you know, that that witcher heritage, I'm sure it'll be a friggin' masterpiece. Um, one of the last bastions of, uh, of non-DLC no uh no monetization system triple a game makers out there just doing the lord's work 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think I'm most looking forward to myself, um, probably the new WoW expansion, uh, you know, uh, Battle for Azeroth. Um, I'm, you know, anytime a WoW expansion comes out, anytime it's a WoW expansion year, I'm always in, in good spirit. So that's that's going to be a good one for me in 2017. You know what else is coming out real soon in December? Player Unknown Battlegrounds on Xbox One. What? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, no, pretty wild. So I have actually not played Player Unknown's Battle. It's like probably one of the best, or I shouldn't say best, but most played games on Steam right now. Um, right now, it's exclusively for the PC. You actually can't get it for Mac, which is unfortunate. I'm not a PC gamer. I'm a Mac guy, so I only ever really get to play games that do come out on Mac. Um, and you know what actually did come out on Mac? I've said Mac like 600 times. Holy shit. Um, is, uh, is, Battle, is Fortnite Battle Royale. Have you seen that guy? I have seen that. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's another PUBG style um, game online. Um, you know, sessions that are longer than a Counter Strike session, but shorter than you know a game of a game Dota. of risk. Uh, oh, Dota, okay. yeah, exactly. Fair. And Fair. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, facilitates some building. You're the, you're not just collecting items. You're also um, you know constructing uh, bases and just. Uh, 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 looks like a looks like a great game. Yeah, no, it does look really cool. They both look really neat. This battle royale thing is obviously going to be a thing um, with PUBG's success. I think there's plenty of of copycat games coming out. In fact, I actually read a statement by their uh, whatever the CEO of uh, of the company that does PUBG. Um, I think it's Blue something or I can't remember the name, but he was just talking about how you know very clearly this is going to be a format that new games coming out will explore. He just hopes that they explore some new and interesting ground as opposed to just literally rehashing, you know, you, you fly in on an airplane, a hundred people jump down onto an Island and the last man standing wins. Um, so I think Fortnite kind of does that considering it does have the, the building mechanics, which look pretty interesting. I actually didn't end up playing the game, unfortunately, even though it is available for Mac, I have an older Mac and it doesn't have the, uh, the new metal, um, whatever the video drivers or whatever, uh, to allow me to play it. But I, I definitely will be picking PUBG up when it comes, uh, comes to PS4, which hopefully is sometime in the near future. Um, Fortnite, um, has been, uh, plagued by, uh, cheaters, eh? Uh, I think that's PUBG. I, I think Fortnite's actually fine, but PUBG, I, I understand is being, um, absolutely plagued with hackers. I think they're all I over the place. I think they both are actually. I think what you'll find is um, the Fortnite people are actually in the middle. They're very litigious, and uh, there's some cheat makers that have been making code um, to allow code injection uh, into the experience. And uh, one of the people that they sued just happened to be a 14-year-old American kid. Um, oh, I did see that actually. Yeah, and so essentially he made a video basically showing how to cheat, put it on YouTube, they filed a DMCA claim, uh, which is a takedown claim based on copyright. Yes. And uh, then uh, he, he the, the kid, counterclaimed. And so when you make a counterclaim against the DMCA, the person, the original claimant, has 10 days to submit their case. Um, so they had to take legal action at that oh. point. So, you know, if the kid had just quietly... <laughs> Chill uh, off. And, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, and they there's the I think I, I believe a, a court just uh, settled that uh, he you know purges all his code. There's no monetary uh, element, and he's like not to not 
to not cheat for continue to cheat on Fortnite. Sorry, who is the lawyer that takes on the the 14-year-old that wants to counter sue a major corporation? Like <laughs> what how so does that happen? Is, is that like, not like the, that's like the script of a movie with Macaulay Culkin from 1994? You're 55, your name's Larry and you work for a company that's decided how are we going to protect our assets? Well, anyone who who does anything uh around cheating, uh we we're going to sue them. Uh and, and first we'll not just sue them, we'll take action. DMC takedowns anything they don't like on YouTube, but this kid, thinking he's smart and having no experience, sort of uh, makes a claim back, and Larry's like, well, we sue everybody, or we submit everybody who does this, because that's the stance we're taking, and then, uh, two weeks later, you find out that you're suing a 14-year-old kid, and his mom is pissed. She's like, she's like, how dare you sue little Ben here, because he's a nice kid, you're trying to, (laughs) you're trying to to make a case around him, trying to make an example. And I heard, the, heard this kid made this comment. I forget what the meme was, but he was like, his theory is he's safe because if they sue me, uh, they have to sue everybody. And I'm like, nope, that's actually not how the law works. He's like, I'm not the only one doing it. I'm like, well, but see, you put your hand up and they sue everyone who puts their hands up. So you just maybe keep your hand squarely in your pocket next time or in yes. your school bag or in hey, your a- sock drawer, whatever other kids are doing. It's a valuable young lesson for any young man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, some quick cool points that I wanted to mention. Alcohol sales are down in states uh, that have legalized uh, medicinal cannabis. As much as 15%, says an article on yep. Mary Jane. Whoa, man. 15%. Yep. That's a giant bite. So, you know, we know we've talked a little bit about uh, companies like Constellation, the guys from Corona, picking up some stock in, uh, you know, Canadian uh, cannabis licensed producers, but, and, you know, potentially doing some, some infused drinks somewhere down the road. But, man, if, if I'm an alcohol guy, I'm looking at that and going, fuck we need to find a way to make some money on weed now unfortunately so is the rest of america so you know it's going to be a little bit crowded but uh boy i am really interested to see how how alcohol bounces back from this one they they they'll look for distribution right because that's a spot that they can plug in quite easily while they develop something reasonable as from product um and what i think is the numbers would be interesting to find out of how much of that spread is from um, service locations and how much is from home use. So, for instance, the difference between people who off-sale and bring it home or that the ones that have it out at an establishment or a restaurant. Um, you wonder if bartenders are feeling backlash from uh, the, the cannabis spike. Um, sure. Or if it's just like it, here in Ontario, we have something call, cool called the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board. And if you, wanna, if you want booze, you got to go speak to them. And they, uh, they run by the, the government. Um, which has a bunch of benefits and interesting challenges, especially if you're uh, a small town in Tuktiuktuk, um, you know, somewhere in, in the upper reaches of Nunavut, and you'd like to sell uh, some fine uh, alcoholic products, and then they then they give you a little nod uh, and, and let you do that. But uh, uh, interesting, interesting thing getting into that distribution model will make it hard for actually liquor retailers in Ontario to get any weed products on the shelf because, uh, you know, their distribution model, we've basically um, uh, drawn a mm-hmm. silo around and said, no one else shall play here. You can't buy ice candy at the LCBO because it's considered food. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of weird segregation of products uh, that, you know, that um, have intoxicating effects or whatever. Um, it just, it's fascinating to me because 
very clearly, cannabis is a bad thing for a couple industries, alcohol being one of them, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals being another. It's challenging because any, you know, any, any guy, any, any gal can plant a seed in the ground and have a weed plant in their backyard, whereas you know, having, having some wine or, or spirits made in your basement is a slightly more challenging <laughs> undertaking. Um, you know, I think that we can, we can safely say that um, another big contributing factor here is the fact that alcohol and weed don't really mix. Like just from a practical perspective, if I smoke a joint on my way to the bar to meet my buddies for a beer, I'm probably only drinking one beer because, and maybe sipping it at that, nursing it just to be social. I'm definitely not slamming two. That's not happening because I just, I just don't like to mix that shit. I find it creates weirdness in my mind and, uh, and, and a glushiness in my stomach that it just, it's just unpalatable. So yeah, it's, it's going to be going to be fascinating to see what that overlap does to, to alcohol sales long-term. Um, yeah. And you know, it's interesting too, because we don't look at like consciousness and, um, awareness, uh, as a continuum, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, it'd be interesting if somebody could tell exactly where you're at is because we say, Oh, you can't have six drinks and that makes sense. But like, can I have like two drinks and like, um, just a little bit of pot at the, and then maybe, you know, I had a, I had a stimulant earlier and I ate a big meal four hours earlier and they're like, they can take that all into uh, account, but you know, it's like, for instance, if you had like the minimum, the minimum allowable dosage of 10 different uh, narcotics, like you've had uh, a Vicodin and a this and a that, you're, they're like, maybe sit this one out. <laughs> you're like, yeah. You're like, they're not, they've not redlined on anything, but you're like, well, um, you know, I can tell you're a little bit stressed and <laughs> not enough sleep and you didn't eat enough tonight and you've had uh, three quarters of a beer and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and a Vicodin, um, you know, what's <laughs> one other thing? I don't know. A, your allergy medicine, that's just a wild card. Tom, I don't know how that plays in. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny, man. I've thought about allergen medicine and uh, and alcohol too many times to to, to mention it. So um, it's fascinating when you just, just simplify things. Smoke a joint, take it easy on the alcohol, leave absolutely everything else uh, at the pharmacy and not in your medical cabinet. Guys, um, stretch. Stretch. Yeah, Please, yeah well, I mean. fair enough. Yeah, no, you know what I mean. Re- recreationally, not medically. Um, one third of adults in legal states are cannabis consumers. That's freaking crazy. So you're talking about this alcohol thing, and now you've got a third of adults in legal states identifying as cannabis consumers, keeping in mind that it's still federally illegal in the United States to consume cannabis. So that just gives you an idea of the volume of people, again, one in three adults in legal states, that are going to be participating in weed, and again, what that's going to do to those other two industries. So it's fascinating. Here's my question, though. Once they make weed totally legal... How am I going to demonstrate to bikers that I'm cool? Impossible, impossible. You'll uh, have it's to. Be, you'll have to graduate have to, to dust s- off the hog. Yeah, get the get the hog going. Get some some cold blooded murder going, and maybe you can uh, you know rejoin the ranks of the of the hallowed badass. Um, I uh, I remember relating to a friend that I knew would know about these things that I got in a situation where. Uh, uh, I was hanging. I was uh, encountered some some really rough biker guys. Um, you know the kinds that that are totally cool until they're not totally cool, and then there's a problem. You can take you can take Stewart to an eight, but if you take anything above an eight, you're getting your face run over by a Harley Davidson. No, like Stewart's normally between one and three, and if you take him to four, he'll take it to five and then six, 
and then we'll see where it goes from there. And then you're you know, staring I'm, down the barrel of a blowtorch into your left you, eyelid. Oh man, you you've read the book. So um, I, I just I, watched I, Son of, I, I watched Sons of Anarchy first two seasons, pretty good. Then I went downhill from there. <laughs> Fair enough. So I got in these situations where these bikers thought I was a cop because I guess I gave golf cop vibe at the time. You fucking and, do, uh, man. You are the most cop vibe guy of all time. <laughs> and he, the fact that you just said that, like you, like every one of my friends that have met you that don't know like you well, they're like, is that guy like um, a narc or uh, <laughs> or or is he is he is he just a, a used car salesman? I'm like. Listen, can it be 50-50? <laughs> can it be both? Can it be both? You're simultaneously the most suspicious-seeming guy that you uh, that you can t- totally, completely trust. And sure. It's, it, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough for you. So anyway, give off. apparently I used to give off a, quite a cop vibe. And uh, and it, it went bad. And I, I, I uh, that's a whole other story. But I mentioned this to my friend. And he's like, man, why don't you just pull out a joint? And I was like, instead of smoking, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely should have. And he's like, yeah. That would have been the move. Pack. He's like, he's like, that's a move. So once it's all legal, what do I do? I gotta, I gotta, you know, like take tear a, a a tag off a mattress or some other crime that is essentially harmless but completely against the law. <laughs> that's amazing. Speaking of bikers, I used to buy, uh, I used to buy hash oil from a biker named Boog in uh, in in Oshawa, which was interesting. That's, that's tremendous. That's Pretty the good. kind of thing that you want. Oh, goodness. Um, so, listen, man, we've run a little bit long here on the show. I think we probably want to shut it down here in a moment. But I just wanted to, to, to float this across. I found a recipe for marijuana-infused eggnog. And this is what really kind of kind of put the dagger through the heart of alcohol in my mind right now. Because, like, eggnog, probably one of the most iconic spiked beverages of all time. And I'm staring down an article that's like, oh, yeah, you could probably put weed in that instead. And it might be a little bit better. <laughs> It's quite quite a fascinating thing. So here are the talking points on marijuana infused eggnog. Um, there, there's even a I can't I'm sorry I don't can't remember what the strain recommendation was, but they have a strain recommendation for eggnog that has terpenes that pair nicely with that specific beverage. And uh, of course, you can have as many as you like and uh, probably pass out in the same way that you would if they were spiked with alcohol, but wake up ready to drink more eggnog tomorrow. So <laughs> what do you think? Uh, marijuana infused eggnog, yay or nay? They've done it again. They've taken the brilliance of putting sugar and eggs together uh, or butter and eggs together in a beverage and added pot. And I think you can only get better from there. Yeah, it's only, you're, we're only going up, man. We're only going up. You don't even need to um, you know, sneak away into the bathroom or go for a walk with your cousin, air quotes on walk, uh, to, uh, to enjoy a little bit of your uplifted euphoria at family gatherings. Now you can, you can boldly drink it in front of Aunt Ellen and her anti-cannabis stance without her being any of the wiser. I oh, know, he's just drinking he, alcohol. He, so much better. It's just a, just a fine inebriant. He's just slamming back eggnogs and getting wasted on rum. Nothing to see here, folks. I'm glad he's not smoking potter. Liking dudes, I'm against both those things. No, oh, she is. Fuck she's that got aunt. the worst aunt. She's she's one of those. Listen, you give me two glasses of of uh, of eggnog uh, spiked with just the perfect blend of uh, of terpenes, I will be foaming at the mirth in no time. Foaming I mean, at the we're mirth. Getting, we're getting festive up in Ooh. this. Foaming at the mirth. Let's close foaming. it down on that pun because that was a fucking good one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listener questions or games you want us to play, email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Sorry for the hate, Roth killer. Feel free to fire another one. I'll even read it. You demand. Uh, Listen, yeah. the Roth is hard. That won't shake him. The Roth. And uh, yeah, you'd probably recommend us to a friend if uh, if you loved all this uh, this this dank finery going on here. What do you think, Dan? Should people recommend it to a friend? Listen, you can recommend us to your closest allies, or don't. It's you. You're an adult. You can you can make this decision. I make that in choice. You, I, I always have. Pro choice here on the Purple Dungeon Squid. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, keep it dank, friends. Uh. Uh, I am high.